0: Welcome to The Grand Conversation, the Machon Siach podcast. Machon Siach at S.A.R. High School, honoring the memory of Belda Kaufman-Lindenbaum, Zichrona Levracha, is the research arm of S.A.R. High School, where faculty bridge theory and practice on matters of Jewish education, curriculum, and culture. I'm your host, Shmuel Hain, Rosh Beit Midrash at S.A.R. High School, and Director of Media and Publications at Machon Siach. Our producer is Avi Bloom, and our engineer is Greg Schmidt. This special series of The Grand Conversation is devoted to the topic of Gemara education. Our guest host is Rabbi Tully Hartstark, founding principal of SAR High School, the home of The Grand Conversation, and dean of Machon Siach. For the past several years, Machon Siach has convened a Gemari faculty Beit Midrash to develop a shared language on teaching Gemara to modern Orthodox high school students. As part of our research, we collaborate with educators and scholars in the field to discuss ways we can meaningfully translate scholarship into the classroom. We are thrilled to present this series featuring one-on-one conversations with Rabbi Hartstark and outstanding Gemara scholars.
1: Thank you, Shmuel. Hello, everyone, and uh, thank you so much for joining us for this special Grand Conversation series on teaching Gemara. Um, as Rabbi hein mentioned, over the past years, Machon Siach has convened a faculty Beit Midrash focused on developing shared language and goals in our teaching of Gemara. Uh, the guiding assumption, when we talk about a faculty Beit Midrash, is that learning a sugya with students in mind, which means, I think for us as a first step, anticipating questions that students are going to ask, and learning with those uh, issues and questions in mind, that affects uh, how we learn the sugyah. And one of our primary goals in preparing Gemara to teach in our classrooms is to make each step of the sugya, each drasha, every inference, uh, to make that make sense, for students to be able to make meaning, contemporary students to make meaning from that Gemara. And that requires um, a distinct type of cultural translation of a sugya. Uh, to help us sharpen our thinking on this as we continue to work on the Gemaraoth and the sugot that we teach, I'm honored to welcome Dr. Elana Steinhain. Um, t- Dr. Steinhain is Rosh bait Midrash and a senior fellow at the Shalom Hartman Institute of North America. Formerly served as a clergy at both the Jewish Center. And Lincoln Square Synagogue in New York City. Um, Alana hosts a uh, podcast series and teaches really around the globe. And I am happy to say that uh, to wish her, her Mazaltov on her upcoming book, which is called Circumventing the Law Rabbinic Perspectives on Loopholes and Legal Integrity, that's going to be published by the University of Pennsylvania Press in January 2024. That is really exciting. Uh, Mazaltov, Alana, welcome. Thank um, you so Congratulations on the book. And it's really, uh, we're happy to have you here.
2: Thanks, it's great to be here and I have to say I really admire what you're doing in terms of thinking about how to teach Gemara to people who come with questions that we wouldn't anticipate and to learn to anticipate some of those questions, it's very, it's inspiring.
1: Thank you. I appreciate your saying that. I uh, often feel that the enterprise of learning Gemara, when we do anticipate those kinds of questions. Gemara becomes an extremely dynamic. Of course, the mitzvah of Talmud Torah as a mitzvah is primary, but the dynamism of Asugya, when you're thinking about, uh, as hopefully you'll share, and I know that your work shows so much, uh, the dynamism of Asugya offers us the ability to think about large questions um, in the Gemara that
2: we're we're teaching. And uh, yeah, and I would even say, if we're thinking about the purpose of Talmud Torah, as something that reveals the sophistication and the beauty. Of hundreds of years and thousands of years of thinking about how to live a godly life, then we better make sure that when people are learning Torah, they see that depth and they can experience that depth. Otherwise, what are we? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're yeah. missing. We're missing the boat.
1: Well, sometimes, and I, I think that uh, to your point, I sadly I have to should just note that we are. Uh, recording this uh, just a number of days after the brutal events of Shemini in Medina, Israel, uh, and we are uh, in the midst of one of the most uh, diff- certainly most difficult times in the history of Medina, Israel, and the Jewish people. Um, and to just say it out loud, we I think we both thought that maybe this is not a time to have uh, a podcast discussion, uh, and then we thought about it again and said. Actually, maybe this is exactly a time to talk about uh, the study of Gemara. I'm wondering what your thoughts are about Gemara at a moment like this.
2: I, I think that so many of us from afar, you know, you you even say the terrible events of Shemini Atzeret, and for our family in Israel, it was Simchas Torah, meaning the, the feeling of how far we are, um, even as we try to be close using all the mechanisms that we can, contributing and davening, And reaching out to our family members and and following every bit of news that we can. And I think that learning Torah and teaching Torah in a moment like this, for me, it does uh, two things. Obviously, it's you you just want to do more mitzvot. You want to you want to accrue merit. You want to give merit. You want to show that we're doing the right things. You know, it's a it's a a show to God that this is the people who we're trying to be. And I think there's also the aspect that Torah is something that unites our past, our present, and our future. And so it it kind of helps us. It's not transcend the moment to escape the moment, but to recognize that there are questions and issues and difficulties that we, we have wrestled with as a people for a very long time, and we will continue to wrestle with it and that comes through in the language of Torah too. It comes through in Sogyot, in on so many pages of the Gemara.
1: Well, that's well, that's what I I'd like to ask you about that because uh, the study of Torah at a moment like this can feel the power of that. I imagine that. Uh, some people's minds. Very often, in my own life. I think my mind might have gone to studying Tanakh, Masheva Israel, learning a parik of Tihilim that talks about the distress of the human condition. Uh, learning Gemara might feel like uh, an intellectual exercise, something that removes us from uh, what's actually going on. These challenging moments in our lives. Uh, and you're proposing that a sugya can offer that. I'm wondering if you can. Well, the other day, if you have an example.
2: <laughs> the other day, our staff, you know, the, the taking of hostages in this, um, you know, Hamas onslaught is something that really, um, distinguishes this attack from many others, among other things that distinguish this attack. And so our staff, we had a baby Midrash session. We have a baby Midrash session for staff every month that I give. And our staff had a baby Midrash slot on schedule that we were going to do. We were going to do something else on Monday, the day after Chagim. And I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to learn about the mitzvah of Pidyon shvuyim. We're going to learn about the mitzvah of redeeming captives. And I said to them, you know, we're all scrolling through our feeds. And we're seeing pictures and videos of captives, and this is a different way not to look away from captives. It's a different way, and so we actually learned we learned halachic sugyas and we learned agadic sugyas, and the Halakhic sugyas were just emphasizing for us the you know this is in Baba Batra um, emphasizing for us the importance of. Pidyon as a mitzvah, but not just a private mitzvah, a public mitzvah. A public mitzvah that is counted as staka from the community and that overrides other things. And the agadot were agadot of people in captivity showing their humanity, even as people are trying to dehumanize them. But critically, there is one sugya that I told them I'm not doing. I said, I am not learning the Mishnah and Gitim right now with you about not overpaying to get back a captive. And I'm not learning the Mishnah, say Mishnah, in in with you about not trying to help a captive escape because we're worried that it'll impact other captives. And the reason I'm not doing that with you right now is because it's not the time for it, for us sitting in America. It's the time for not looking away from captives and not looking away from their humanity.
1: Wow. that's uh, it's powerful. Actually, spent uh, it's 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 moving that you talk about pidyon shvim. First, the idea of uh, faculty spending time learning together, as you do, is powerful and resonates deeply with with. By the way, it's not just faculty;
2: it's staff. It's the people Mm -hmm. who run our books. It's everyone. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, Um, I also spent some time in a class uh, talking about uh, pidyon shvim. I have to say that I did. Uh, introduce the Mishnah in in Gittin, um, because and, and from my angle, and I'm wondering what you think about this. What I was thinking of, I did hesitate. I think uh, first, should I can I talk about this topic now? And precisely the idea that you shared before is what moved me to say we should learn about this. Um, it is raw and it's difficult, but it is Torah and Chazal speaking to the realities of our lives. The Celebratory ones, and in this instance, the most difficult ones. Uh, but the dilemma that I—I um, I, I I was careful to not have a debate. This was not a sure. let's decide which uh, side you know you think is the correct one at all. But to see the dilemma that uh, you know the halacha states uh, that every life is of infinite value, and we need to redeem that life, and then there's a, a tension. From the Mishnah and get in Gittin, um, which worries about those the, the longer term effects, but I found that it sensitizes people to some of the enorm- the enormity of the decisions that our leadership has to make. And we, between you and, and me, we don't have to debate the merits. Although it's interesting, I, I would highlight on a kind of the meta level that exactly that discussion. And as we if we would come together and say, well, what's the right thing to teach to—what to ha- what do we do, actually, with students on this topic at a time like this? And we've, in these few moments, raised three different options. We're not going to teach this because it's— But here's the way that we emphasize—this is what you should emphasize. Or, you know, that is a pedagogic decision that I think uh, every person in our community, whether you're a teacher or not, you're, people who are parents, their peers— Everyone can engage that question, not only the content of the Gemara, but even the question of what's right for us to do now? What's right for us to engage? How do we make meaning from these texts? Um, and I find that to be really important in the study of, uh, of Gemara also, just talking about how to how to teach it.
2: Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting to me. I think that, um, you know, your choice to talk about the dilemma and my choice not to talk about the dilemma, Probably reflected more where we were at that moment than anywhere else. And I was talking to some of my colleagues and saying that now that I'm starting to see Israelis themselves actually start to debate this question. Um, if I taught this in a week, if I taught this in two weeks, the conversation might be different. But I think there's um there's an emotional and intellectual context for all of this that probably the people teaching in the room know about themselves and about the people in the room. We hope that they know it and they know how to help it. I think there were some people who wished I would have talked about the dilemma because it would have given them something to 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 debate. Meaning I know you didn't open a debate, but it would it would have given them something to do instead of just sitting with the ugly reality yeah. um, of the need.
1: To do this, um, I'm wondering your th- uh, what you would think or how you'd respond. Uh, a student, when we were going, uh, discussing some of the sources, uh, as respectfully as she could, actually said, I am committed to these texts, and I, I, I don't want to say something that's inappropriate, and I really respect halacha and the Torah, but. Um, these issues are real issues and they're very big. And the question that she was pushing at is, is, is our commitment to halacha like how, how am I supposed to wrap my head around? How do I think about learning a text that's coming from a totally different time and culture and setting, and then taking what that text says, assuming that it says a singular thing even, right? But how do we take that, that text and just assume that i'm following that now in a very different kind of culture and she said it with reverence but wanted to understand how do you think how do you engage a question like that and if i could just to not uh, to talk about Gemara generally I mean, not even in this topic i think that's probably something that come you know that comes up constantly if you're willing to engage it uh, Gemara.
2: well so there are two i think it's a great question there are two places let, let, let's say three things okay thing number one um i would say and thank you because that that permission to talk about gamara in general just gave me a little uh room to breathe so thank you i appreciate right. that um so the first thing i would say is what's the scaffolding that we're doing as educators to say here's why i want to talk to you about this and let's talk about how incredibly different the milieu is in which they were working and what are the messages that endure and how remarkable and frightening but remarkable it is to see that there are some questions that have always been our questions and now are entering a new iteration and how they need to be applied in terms of the answers but the questions have always been there, and guidance has always been there. So, what's the scaffolding that we're doing in admitting the gap, and in saying we we've always had these questions, and that's part of the power of what we're doing here? There's a continuity that we're looking for. Can that's you, kind of the
1: curriculum.
2: Can you explain? What you the,
1: but what you mean by scaffolding? So that uh... what I
2: mean is, before I teach a sugya, I sell the problem. The problem that we're dealing with right now is. Who is part of the Jewish community? Who is allowed to be part of the Jewish community? What are our boundaries? And I'm going to look with you at a sugya that's at the beginning of a tractate that's about eating meat called chuen. And you're going to assume that it's going to have nothing to do with it. I'm telling you it has everything to do with it. Because what I want to look at is how people understood this question and responded to this question in a different time, in a different place, and what guidance that has for us today, and sometimes even the separation in distance and in assumptions gives you a little bit of room to think about it, not with your gun out of your holster in the triggered kind of way, but to think about it on a canvas that isn't completely you know, presumed and assumed for you. But I would say this. Oh, sorry. Did you want to say something? Uh,
1: yeah, I am. Uh, I'd, I think the opportunity for our community to learn Torah through this podcast is uh, a, is, is a wonderful opportunity. And I'm wondering if you could give us uh, two to three minutes on the specifics of that
2: Chulin example. I mean, how do you? Oh, think about yeah, it? Totally. I mean, The Mishnah says, and how yeah, you see this again? The Mishnah starts with Hakol Shochatin. Anybody can do Shmita. Anybody can slaughter. Um for you, which sounds pretty inclusive. And when you think about it, if you're saying anybody can slaughter your food for you, think about the milieu. It is not, you can't go to Riverdale Kosher Market. You can't go to, you know, I would say growing up Glott Express, wherever it is. Who can chef your meat for you? Is who do you trust in your community with the incredibly important job of giving you kosher food to eat. Hakol Shochatin sounds very inclusive. But the way that the Gemara talks about what it includes or who it includes is like a reverse funnel. It starts out incredibly narrow. If you're somebody who usually eats not even non-sacrificial meat in a state of tahara, hakol sholchatin, anybody can shecht for you, means even somebody who is tame, but is holding a really long knife, so they never touch the meat, which is something that wouldn't be allowed if it was sacrificial meat. Now that is incredibly, incredibly narrow in terms of this inclusive word, hakol, everybody. And it continues the Gemara to get more expansive. Is it possible, even at one stage of the Gemara, is it possible that somebody is what we call somebody who habitually eats non-slaughtered meat themselves, not for ideological reasons, but because they're, they have a type for it, they have a desire for it. But you can check the knife for them and make sure that it's not nicked and that it's a kosher knife. Can they shecht for you? That just got much wider.
1: So you see the sugya, the lines, the, the steps in the sugya as being an argument that the Gemara is working
2: through. Yes. Course of
1: course, if it stages. But
2: then, of course, and this is the next step, and this is where halacha comes in, right? Because the Gemara can be so agile and flexible, and you can move it and pull it and push it and say, oh my gosh, look at this reverse funnel. This is remarkable. This is remarkable, right? But first of all, the Gemara itself at some point puts a cap and says, wait, wait, wait. Not if people are like really over the line. Not if there's got to be a line here. We got to make a line here. And then you're going to go to halacha and halacha is going to debate, okay, where's the line? We've seen all these options. Where's the actual line? But that to me is is another part of bridging the gap. Which is, I find two sources of bridging that gap between them and us to be incredibly powerful. One is Shu'tim, responsa literature, because what responsa literature does, and let's take your example of pidyon shvuyim, you can find in responsa literature those who are going to push and say, actually, we do need to pay more because of this other passage in the Gemara over here because of this other example. Don't you remember Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania went and was willing to pay anything to get Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha out of jail, right? He's a little kid taken by the Romans, right? You you can see in response to literature the grappling in real time with a real issue that feels more real in the way that it's expressed.
1: In a different context, in a new milieu and how that's brought to that new setting.
2: Exactly, and the other place that I've seen it, and I think this is harder to come by, and I definitely, you know i I um am very fortunate to have uh, now two nephews in Israeli law school. so they help me. Um I should say one helps me, the other one is just starting, but he will help me. He doesn't know. <laughs> um, but Mihbare, meaning Israeli Supreme Court cases sometimes you can find conversations in Israeli Supreme Court cases that are working off of an ideal in the Gemara and debating it. Like there was this case. Let me see if I remember this. Let me see if I remember this. I think it was in the late 70s. I think it was in the late 70s. There was this case where there was um, a, a, a security guard, I think, who used his weapon that was given to him by the company uh, to commit a crime. And actually, it wasn't just to commit murder. And there was a, a suit for damages to the company. And the discussion was whether al p whether by the strict line of the law, the, the, the company had to pay damages. And the decision was that they didn't. but. Menachem Elon, Justice Menachem Elon, who was wont to do this, he said, what about what about doing more than what the law says? Now, it is a very, very dangerous precedent for a Supreme Court justice to say you should go beyond the law. That is a dangerous thing. By definition, maybe beyond the law should stay out of court and other. Ju- I don't I don't remember. Maybe it was. I can't remember who it was. I don't want to say the wrong person, but. Another justice was like, absolutely not. We cannot, as judges, talk about that, right? But it's a great example of, can you legislate people to do things? And it's a contemporary 50 years ago example.
1: Um, I actually want to explore and talk to you a little bit about uh, your book, if we can move Ooh, to that. Yeah. But maybe to take a little step before that and just to what brought you there. Because uh, clearly, you know, our obsession here is about high school students learning Gemara. Uh, at some point, you were a high school student uh, and you were learning Gemara. Uh, I'm wondering what, uh, how you describe your path in What connected to you to Gemara initially, and the ways in which, if it has, how your learning has evolved? Because we're talking here a lot about the way the ideas of the sugya contains within it ideas. The halacha is all important, but the ideas and the give and take of a sugya—that's a particular orientation uh, to learning. And I'm wondering how you describe how you got
2: there. Totally. Um, First thing I want to say, and I know that a lot of uh, educators, like teachers, classroom teachers, hear this. I would not have gotten into Gemara without my teacher, Mara Rachel Frazier, Mrs. Rachel Frazier from Teaneck, New Jersey, my fourth grade teacher.
1: This is the kind of shout out that makes it all worthwhile for a teacher.
2: I got to tell you, I could cry every time. She said to my parents, and this is how my parents tell it to me, and, and maybe if my parents hear this, maybe they would have a different read, I don't know. They, she said to my parents, your kid loves learning Torah. Let her learn Torah outside of school as much as possible. Whatever she wants. She loves it. And so they did. And in fifth grade, more shout outs. Sharon, oh, I can't remember her last name right now. Uh, it'll come to me. Teenager. She's giving a pirke avot hug on Shabbos afternoon. Teenager for fifth graders. Fifth grade girls. So I was like, my parents were like, you should go. Because Mrs. Frazier said you should go. You should go. So I went. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And it was pure chaos, but It's not like I didn't realize how subversive pure cable actually is until like last year. But it was like, it was it's just nice. You, yeah. What'd you say? That's for another. another podcast, podcast. <laughs> but woo, <Yeah>. pure <laughs> So Then, I know it's a long answer to a a short question, but I just want to give credit to so, 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 so many people, including my parents. And then in sixth grade, I think, my parents paid Rabbi Peretz Hochbaum, who was teaching at Moriah, who spent his whole day teaching kids. I went to Yavne and paid him once a week to teach four girls Gemara. One night a week, he taught us Megillah. I remember it like it was yesterday. With his extra time i got one more for you rabbi beller i don't even know his first name he's my teacher seventh and eighth grade rabbi beller had a special gemara class for kids who wanted to do more for eight of us seventh graders eighth and eighth graders together and he made us memorize he made us memorize he made us memorize now did any of those people say to me here are the big ideas here's like the big essential questions i don't know but i know that all of those people said i'm going to make it easy for you to learn this and once i make it easy for you to learn this you're going to figure out what you see in it and that's exactly what happened once i could learn it i had all throughout high school Tova Ellie Schlanger, her family should be safe. They're in Israel. All throughout high school. Because I could do it. I learned how to do it. It wasn't intimidating. It was exhilarating. And then I started seeing.
1: So tell us about your book. I'll you tell you about my book. chose a topic okay. that is, uh, I think a lot of high school kids would be extremely interested. In.
2: By the way, I really do want to talk about this book with high school kids, with high school educators, with high school administrators, for real, for real, for real in day schools, Um, it is about circumventing the law. It is about, quote-unquote, legal loopholes. And essentially, what interested me in the topic is I was, in the early 2000s, I was working at the Jewish Center as the William Fishman intern, and then, no, the William Fishman Community Scholar, sorry. I was working there for two years. And so, like, you see people's cynicisms about loopholes. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to sell the chamez. Cute, right? And at the same time, Professor Suzanne Lasto and through Cardozo started this um, fellowship for people who were doing their PhDs in Judaic studies, which I was, to learn about legal theory. So, as I'm listening to people be cynical about loopholes and sitting in how does legal theory and Jewish law, how do they connect? I'm thinking, oh my gosh. And I think Suzanne and I even had this conversation where she's like, Alana, you care about this. Do something about it. You care about it. So I started teaching it at the Jewish center and I I taught the famous ones, you know, like I taught heteriska, how are we going to let people take, um, ribbit take usury why can't i think of the english word please interest 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 that's the word thank you (laughs) you can tell sometimes i'm somewhere else but rib i'm sure my family members who heard that will probably crack up um and i have quite a number affiliated with sar so i know who is going to be laughing but ribbit um to be able to take that i talked about even prenups i actually talked about prenups as a way kind of around forcing a get um, I talked about Mechir Khamits. I can't tell you how many times I talk to people about Mechir HaKhametz. All the famous, famous, famous. But the work that I did in the book, the famous stuff is in the epilogue. What I did is I did a programmatic study of the way Chazal use a phenomenon that they call ha'arama Hey, Ayin, Resh, Mem, Hey, meaning like the Nachash being Arum, being cunning, but also meaning Ani shachanti orma, from Mishle that wisdom requires some common sense. Wisdom requires some common sense in both those ways, Chazal use it. And I followed what are Chazal doing when they're creating what essentially amounted to private loopholes for people who were in a bind
1: thinking of Yaakov, who uh, is considered uh, whose whose trait is a trait of Emmet and his name was Yaakov he was the most uh, circumventing of the forefathers and that relationship seems really uh, that being able to connect those two that the word arum arma can carry both of those meanings is uh, powerful but also hard to uh, to take in what do you think Chazal were pushing for, how would you describe what Chazal Are pushing for in that formulation of it? And, yeah, so and, and, I would and perhaps even though Mechiras Chemitz is not the, uh, the classic contemporary but not necessarily the Chazal example, how would you use that, using what your uh, argument in the book, what are Chazal after in doing something Yeah, like that?
2: Yeah. So I think there are two really important parameters for Chazal, in what makes a loophole okay to use. One is, it can't be for the wrong reasons. It can't be for a bad goal, a goal that Halacha wouldn't recognize and shouldn't recognize. It has to be for something that is a value, of value to the Halacha itself, and how that's determined, internal values, external values. I leave that for every theorist in the world who's ever thought about the question of when you read a text, are you bringing your values or are you just discovering the values in it to deal with? But the second is there are some things that can't be rerouted. They can't be undermined. It makes too much of a mockery of the system. And I think both of those and the classic example, and it's actually very rare in, in Chazal themselves for this example to come up. But the quote unquote classic example would be the difference between a dirabanan and a dioraita, getting around a rabbinic law and get versus getting around a biblical law. Now, I will tell you, there are many, 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 many examples in Chazal of getting around the biblical law. Many, many, many. However, there are two examples, one in the Rashalmi and one in the Bavli, where there may be an indication that You can't get around a biblical law. What's interesting about that is these are both, it's what's your goal and what's your process. And by doing that, what Hazal are basically trying to do, I think, is they're trying to keep continuity within the law while ensuring that people are not suffering under the law, but they don't believe in, well, we can just jettison it. That's, that's not the way it goes. It's, this is, and if you see in later Midrashim, and this is the beauty, there's a love language between Akadosh Baruchu and the Jewish people's lawyers, who, by the way, are the rabbis. Moshe Rabbeinu is one of those lawyers. Avram Avinu is one of those lawyers. It's, God wants us to win in the heavenly court. And so we lawyer and that's what we do. And I really think that Chazal view themselves as lawyers. And I'll say one more thing, which is the, the Roman comparison is so stark when Ramah becomes a concept in Hazal, because they had come up with a term like less than 100 years earlier called Fraus Legi, legal fraud. And they were looking at it as judges and they said, we got to get rid of this. They didn't get rid of this everywhere, but we got to get rid of it. Whereas Chazal said, we got to use this responsibly. And that makes me think of Chazal as lawyers, lawyers for the Jewish people, and God's the judge, and God wants us to win, but not by completely undermining the law.
1: That's uh, really fascinating, and I want to kind of reflect back in terms of what you're saying, because there are a number of things that are really important as takeaways. Um, The idea that and I think a lot of us uh, very easily fall into the, I'll call it a trap, of thinking about harama and legal loopholes as really circumventing the system and what you're proposing and what you're proposing through really carefully learning mishnayot and toseftot and sugyot is that Chazal were trying to, they, they're upholding the law and sensitive and aware of where the community is at and figuring out how to be able to keep the community strong, and your lawyer imagery says advocating on behalf of the community uh, so that halacha can actually um, support the lives that they're leading in terms of strengthening the Torah itself and their commitment to it. Um, But I have to just say uh, out loud, because you you haven't yet, that the sources that you are drawing on are not uh, you know? You mentioned that usury, for example, interest comes much later. But uh, you're, you're drawing on Mishnayot uh, and master Sheni. We're talking about the the second tithes and uh, people who are have a firstborn animal on Yuntif and need to shecht the animal so they can have meat. And what's the strategy when something goes wrong and some questions that come up? And in the spirit of Kind of the thing about learning Gemara and the way in which you can draw bigger ideas out of the specific and concrete cases. You can look at uh, Master Shani Mishnayot and, and text about Bechorot and say, this is this is an, another world. But what you do in those uh, examples is unpack how those big questions, we uh, won't get in, into the details here, but the those questions that we are that we think about in our lives today are actually coming through through those examples and the Torah can shape uh, our own lives and how we deal with critical issues um, in that way if we translate it right and we uh, see the Torah in that way and I think it's it's really marvelous
2: thanks sometimes I find myself when I'm teaching a Gemara about two animals falling into a pit on Tov that are actually a parent-child pair. And, well, let me explain to you why you can't chef both animals on Yontif or any other day for that matter. And why can't you have somebody else shek one and you'll chef the other? I say to people, I like stop and I'll get on the balcony with them for a minute and say, what are the odds that you thought when we brought up the question of legal loopholing? How is that religious that we were going to talk about two animals in a pit? On but that's the work and climb the hill with me to see a magnificent view but you got to be willing to climb which is hard and i admire classroom teachers for trying to help people climb
1: kala kavod to you really congratulations it's a wonderful work i think that we could uh I, I know i'd be happy to keep this going for much much longer uh but i do want to Congratulate you and uh, thank you. Actually, your talk, the way that you uh, described the meaningfulness and inspiration uh, that you draw and that we can draw from Talmud Torah um, is of vital importance always. And the way in which, even at a time like this, um, we can draw strength and meaning and connection through the learning of Torah together, um, I think is so, so important. Uh, I think we should be able to strengthen each other in uh, that work. I want to thank you really very much for taking the time. It's a pleasure to talk with you. And uh, we should be—it's going to be a, a difficult time going forward. But uh, kadosh Baruch who should uh, uh, bless Am Yisrael in the world of the uh, Yeshua beKaro'v as soon as it's
2: possible. Amen. Um, thank you for having my, me on the podcast. Thank you. All the best.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Grand Conversation. Please be sure to visit our website, www.machonsiach.org, where you can subscribe to our podcast and find all of our work, papers and podcasts on Gemara education and a variety of other subjects. Until next time, this has been The Grand Conversation, The Siach Podcast.